Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. On today's podcast, we'll talk about food and how it impacts our life with Dara Godfrey, registered dietitian, and this will be part one. We'll talk about how food nurtures us, how it intertwines with our memories, good, bad, and indifferent, and ways to acknowledge and establish eating habits for a healthier life. Hi, this is Lori. Welcome to my podcast. Welcome to life, love, insight, fertility, and experiences. And today we're here with Dara Godfrey, registered dietitian from RMA Associates of New York, which is one of the largest reproductive medicine clinics in Manhattan. So, so happy to have you here, Dara. So wonderful to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And um, I'm excited that Dara's here because if you ever looked at Dara's website, you would see this incredible smile, and that's exactly the energy she has all the time when she talks about nutrition and she talks about life. So I'm very excited for her to share our information with you. You know, one of the things that we really want to talk about with food is that food is something that we all love. Sometimes we love and hate it, depending on what mm -hmm. we're going through. And it's something that we have since the moment that we're born, even before we're born. We're nurtured with food. We have wonderful evenings out with food. We share food with friends. And it's really a way of caring and nurturing ourselves. And we even use an expression, comfort food sometimes, to fill a void and sometimes just to celebrate but that insight it really helps us it helps us to understand why we're eating and what we're eating and what's good for us and what's not and sometimes it even impacts our body image and our self-image and so we have to look at what this does for our bodies how we're nurturing ourselves and if we want to have a child how we're nurturing our, our fertility journey so that's something that we're going to talk about today and possibly also the impact of the food on our body and how come we celebrate with food so much. When we look at our experiences in life, so many of them are tied to food, right? We think of our, our mom cooking for us or whoever raised us cooking for us or, or baking with someone special or a special restaurant that you love or a trip that you took with food. And I don't know if anybody remembers Anthony Bourdain, but his entire show on CNN was about food and how having having meals together is a wonderful way of exchanging not just cultural values but but love for life and and who we are and getting closer so today we're going to talk about eating and food and the physical and emotional impact which is becoming a huge topic i'm seeing it all all over in a lot of the articles that i'm reading and the overall health and the pleasure and sometimes the pain so where we begin i'm not sure dara but where would you like to begin? Well, Laura, you made a great point that some of our earliest memories um, in childhood mm -hmm. often revolve around food or some sort of celebration that revolves around a meal. Right. It does. Absolutely. And, you know... What's wonderful about that is when I think about going over to my friend's house and baking with her little girl, she's so excited. She eats the dough. She, you know, there's everything around it, and maybe she'll have that memory, and maybe she won't growing up. But, uh, you know, when we think about family gatherings, you know, some of us think about food that we don't want to eat when we go to this aunt's house or this friend's house, and some of us can't wait to go home from college or from work and have the food from the person who's cooking for us. Yeah. And, Lori, made a good point also. Um, the experiences when we go to someone's house to eat 
let's say you have a, a negative experience, mm-hmm. not necessarily food related, a negative experience with the family dynamics. Sometimes what we ate at that meal can also subconsciously negatively impact us down the road, or we may have those food fears or those food dislikes that we may not even realize that could be associated with a bad event. Right, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I was actually talking to somebody yesterday who I work with, and she was talking about the fact that she's gone on this this quote-unquote diet. And I have a lot of feelings about the word diet, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. And I know you Me do, too. too. And um, with this diet, she was going to somebody's house, and she was very, very worried about what she was going to eat because the person cooks, and she's not always the best cook, but she gets insulted when you don't eat. Mm-hmm. So, yes, she remembers the meals from before and how it's going to impact and how she makes a lot of things that she doesn't care for. So what do we do when we have these negative memories associated with um, a specific meal or even a specific you know, type of food or um, a food restriction, mm-hmm. or even a restaurant where maybe we had a bad experience? I mean, there, there could be a number of ways to, to deal with it, but I think the first thing is to acknowledge or realize mm-hmm. that maybe we're avoiding these foods or afraid of them because of a specific situation. And when you kind of, when your brain can acknowledge that it's not necessarily the food, but the experience that goes along with it, that could be the first step to change those habits. I think that's a great point because, you know, we talk so much today about mindfulness and we talk about cognitive behavioral health, and that's all doing exactly what you're saying. It's acknowledging what's going on, and then from that acknowledgement, what is the next step, right? What's the thought? What's the feeling? And how do we take an action to improve it? So you and I were chatting, and, you know, when people have alcohol addiction or drug addiction, well... It's more evident, right? And you don't necessarily have to have alcohol or drugs to live, but we can't live without food. So what if it's something that you should be eating? What if it's protein, you know, some kind of protein-related food? What do you do? Or how do you work with somebody like that? And how do you be sure they're getting the nourishment that they need? For me, the, f- the first step is seeing where they are right now. Mm-hmm. What are their daily habits? What are their daily routines? The problem, and I'm with you, that the term diet, um, in my eyes, is seen as something that's restrictive, something that also implies uh, a short-term fix, as opposed to eating habits for life, a lifestyle. But there's no one-size-fits-all because we all live different lifestyles. Our bodies work differently. We're women. Some people are men. and, and, And... Um, Our genetics are different. So part of it is getting that baseline of what's your lifestyle? What's your day-to-day routine? Do you work? Do you stay at home? Do you have family? Um, Do you cook? Um, And then kind of when you can establish some of those basics, then we get into the actual what do you eat? How many meals do you have? How do you start your morning? And it's actually not only food. And I think that People think they come to me just for the food component, but as you know, it's mm-hmm. m- it's so much more than just food. Food is is part of our day, but it's also our sleeping habits, our connections with other people, and that's you know where you come in, uh, a big component of that. Um, but we have to look at the big picture. It's not just 
what you eat. Right. I agree with you. And I find that that's a lot of the conversation I have with people around food. So why, you know, lots of times you'll ask the question like, what's making you eat that right now if you're going to beat yourself up later? Mm-hmm. And if it's, a, you know, sometimes a medical condition, like a doctor will tell you, make sure you limit your salt. Salt is a key thing today, right? Everybody's talking about salt, We're putting salt contents on mm-hmm. menus. So what do you do when a doctor tells you limit your salt or limit your fat or limit your dairy? Um, how do you how do you deal with that? And how do you make sure that your body is being nurtured and cared for the way you want it to without necessarily changing all the things that you enjoyed before and not changing all of your daily habits if they were working for you? So there's a number, th- a number of things that I usually discuss with the patients that I meet with. First of all, what are your day-to-day routines? So I usually do a, uh, a food record of uh, a typical day during the week mm-hmm. and a typical day during the weekend because weekends tend to be less structured, more on the go. If people work, especially office jobs, they tend to have more of a routine-like schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see what those habits are, see what they're doing from a day-to-day basis, and then, you know, for some for example um, are they going out to restaurants or ordering in food will typically be saltier when you order in Mm -hmm. or go to a restaurant Um, and then some of those like hidden types of foods that we may not you know realize going back to salt things that are pickled pickles olives Mm -hmm. uh, pickled ginger at a Japanese restaurant Uh, Some of the sauces that we get, teriyaki sauce, barbecue sauce, um, rice wine vinegar. So how do people, I'm sorry, but how do people, you know, who then become concerned about a certain component of what they're supposed to avoid, how do they cope? How do they, how do they find substitutes or how do they continue to have a little bit in moderation and still be happy and still feel fulfilled? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a combination of a whole bunch of things yeah it's a lot of it's trial and error mm-hmm. and I think that's somewhat challenging because people often want those concrete answers absolutely and what works for again you know what works for one person may not work for someone else so being patient strategizing so for example back to the salt spices using spices as a, a tool for flavor as a flavor uh-huh. enhancer or an acid like a lemon a lime balsamic vinegar as that flavor enhancer and part of it is also the training your body to get used to something new. Yes, absolutely. It's almost like exercise, right? Yes. You have to get in the routine for six or eight weeks yes. before it becomes the routine. And yeah, but unfortunately, you know, uh, as human nature, we often want those those answers fast, and we want to to do something all a hundred percent. And if we can't do it a hundred percent, we often want to do it zero percent. And the issue with that is. We get into that all or nothing approach, whereas, oh, we went to this restaurant. Oh, I forgot to ask for no added salt at my meal. You know, who cares? And then kind of all those bad habits can creep up again. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of a good transition of what I wanted to kind of speak about today is that I feel like women and men, but especially I deal with a lot of women in the clinic, is that we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. Mm-hmm. The idea of perfection. We want to do something wholeheartedly. I admire that. But guess what? Realistically, that's not life. No, I think it's really important. It's an incredible point. And I was going to, while you were talking, it was like kind of triggering this memory that baby steps and acknowledgement of baby steps are essential in life. If we don't reward ourselves or get positive from somebody for those little steps, then it kind of feels futile because none of us could be perfect. And the women that you see, 
the women you see in the clinic, I was going to say men also, yeah. you know, we need to it, re- reward ourselves. And even at work or with any kind of stress, men will go for food also. Mm-hmm. But with women in the fertility, it becomes something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm going to go on this diet and I'm not going to eat anything that, you know, Dara doesn't tell me not to eat, you know, yeah. or, or tells me to eat. And I think that that has to be really, really hard. It could be challenging, but it's interesting that you use the term reward. And when I hear reward, a lot of times reward is associated with food. I'm going to reward myself with that slice of cake. I did so great this week. I'm going to have a cheeseburger and french fries or whatever it may be. Uh And those aren't, I hate using the term good or bad foods, but of course those foods are less nutritious. But I often use the term like saying that you need to end your day off with something positive. What did I do that was positive today? Um, As opposed to reward, unless we use the reward as something that's not food related. Absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. And you know, it's funny because when I was thinking of reward, food wasn't really coming to my mind (laughs) because a compliment is a reward. An acknowledgement of yourself accomplishing something is a reward. I love that you said like that you said that because I guess in my field, Mm -hmm. people often associate the reward with food. I think in general they do. I, I think in general people associate a reward with food, but you know, when you're parenting a child, a reward isn't usually food, right? Mm-hmm. It's you get a gold star and you get five gold stars and you, then you get, I don't know what, it depends on the family. A big hug and a kiss. Right. <laughs> Something as simple. That's a reward in a different way. It is. And those are the rewards that I think help us when it comes to these trigger foods. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, so I think what do you, hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that um, back to the, the rewards and I think if, you know, nourishing ourselves and, mm-hmm. and, and, as opposed to looking at the negatives of the of the the things that we haven't done perfectly, I think it's so important to end your day with acknowledging something that you've done great. And then perhaps saying, what can I do tomorrow that could be even better? Or even that you just tried. Yes. You know, like yeah. I think just the effort of trying or acknowledging, to use the word you were saying before, acknowledging that you didn't do it, but maybe you'll do it next time. That acknowledgement, that insight will help you to move forward next time because if you're going to beat yourself up and defeat yourself over it, you're not going to get to where you want to be. And the goal is to get to where you want to be. So let's say you're working, right, at at RMA and you're in the clinic and um, a woman comes in and she has always had some a little bit of uh, eating issues. Let's say she needs to lose 20 pounds, which is not in my mind god awful 20 Mm -hmm. pounds you know a lot of people need to lose 20 pounds it would be better not to have it but not an uncommon number i think i don't know but i don't Mm -hmm. think it is and her husband also could you know use a few pounds off and so they come in and they sit down and they say okay what do we do we've read all these articles about nutrition and fertility and we weren't really taking care of ourselves that great before so what do we do now like where do you start with them so after we get through the, the lifestyle habits, do they cook at home? Are they eating any of their meals together? Um, that's when, after the assessment, the education component comes in. And for me, my whole point of view is looking at the positive. What are the foods that you should be incorporating? What are the minimums? We can deal with the peripheral foods, but what are the, the basics of a well-rounded um, 
you know, foods that will nourish your body and make your body work as optimally as possible. Mm-hmm. So do you want to know some of, of some of course. those? Of course. <laughs> I mean, we always hear salmon, but then people come in to me and they say, but how much fish can I really eat? Salmon is great. And, and tuna fish, they're like a lot of people get very upset about tuna fish, I have to say. Tuna fish is okay. Tuna fish is okay. And for me, there shouldn't be concrete yeses and nos. There's, of course, uh, flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I also like to get people's non-negotiables. What can I, what, what's something that you cannot get rid of in your day-to-day routine like coffee which we can talk about later but what are the the basics of of well-rounded eating and especially perhaps related to fertility yeah salmon is definitely one and why is salmon so great because it's filled with omega-3 fatty acids Mm -hmm. which can be great going into a pregnancy but also during a pregnancy for a baby's brain and eye development Mm -hmm. so getting that in your system early on but I do talk about quality of, of salmon ideally going for wild salmon Uh, as opposed to farm-raised. Does it really make a difference? It does make a difference, and that's something a little bit different. It's more about environmental factors and how that can impact our our hormone balance. Okay, because there's a big price discrepancy in the market, so it's good to know if there really is a difference. And if people were eating the kind they shouldn't be eating before they got pregnant, Mm -hmm. is that going to make a big difference? If they're eating it every day for every meal. But Mm -hmm. my approach is also that you have to look at the big picture. You know, you have to compare, you know, what, what might be a better choice? Is it the farm-raised salmon or uh, a fried, double-fried organic chicken? Mm-hmm. I probably would still go for the farm-raised salmon on occasion because you're still getting I mean, a little bit of omega-3s um, and some other health benefits with all the um, not having the saturated fat that you would get from a, 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 a fried chicken. Um, but for me... Protein. So salmon is one source of protein, but I do highlight the importance of protein. And a lot of us don't think about that, that um, every cell that's in our body requires protein to thrive. And, you know, if we're exercising or keeping ourselves healthy, uh, for muscle growth and development, uh, it requires protein. So that's the kind of the home base. Let's talk about protein. Protein at every single meal, it keeps you feeling full. It... Uh, helps nourish those cells and those muscles. Um, and it also keeps our, our sugar levels in balance when we have carbohydrates. So this sounds actually like it would be good for, this sounds like it actually be very good for pregnancy and not pregnancy. It just sounds like good, healthy eating. Lori, I'm happy you brought that point up because my approach to what I do in the clinic, and I, t- I always preface this, that these foods are basically what everyone should be eating. It's not necessarily specific to a fertility diet. I think it should be eaten before, during a pregnancy, and well beyond. There's nothing, you know, faddish about the recommendations. So that when I we make. were talking about like the fact that it could take six to eight weeks to form a habit, yes, this is a perfect opportunity to start to introduce foods into your life that maybe you wouldn't have, because you could easily do it by maybe nurturing somebody. Yes. And loving somebody, but not necessarily just initiating it on your own. Mm-hmm. Getting the support. And also finding out, so salmon is a great example of, for many reasons why it's healthy, the omega-3s, but also it has tryptophan in it, and that actually can release your serotonin levels. Um, and serotonin is that chemical that is a mood booster. So having salmon is not only just great for omega-3s, but to help release more serotonin and in turn make us happier. So that's why salmon is one of those things that has many reasons why they're healthy. 
side, I, I agree with you, but you know, what comes to my mind right away is chocolate. Yes. And my first um, professor I ever had in therapy said every good therapist, which I must admit I do not do, but every good therapist should have chocolate on their desk. Ah. Yes, because it is a mood elevator. It is. So now how do you balance that? Because that always comes to my mind. So I am a chocolate eater. I definitely go for dark chocolate. But what I suggest to other people, I'm fine with people having a square of dark chocolate a day. But actually, it's a good tie-in. What did I say originally? Protein is so important. And a serving of protein at every meal is key. So if you want to have that chocolate as an afternoon snack, great. Pair it with a handful of almonds or walnuts or cashews, which have a myriad of health benefits also for fertility Mm -hmm. and beyond. um, And pair it with a good quality dark chocolate, something that you savor, you enjoy slowly. And I think that goes back to like our emotions. When we like something, we often eat it really, really fast because it tastes so good. And, you know, or it could also be like growing up with, with you know, a lot of siblings. Oh, you have to eat the chocolate quickly or else someone else is going to eat it. So um, <laughs> taking a step back and saying, okay, I am going to enjoy this. This will still be here in five minutes time. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Think about it. Savor it. Do not feel guilty because that guilt can perpetuate more eating, less for nourishment, and more to help cope. Right. So what does guilt really do with anything? It's always a big word that I use a lot in my practice is guilt. I'm not sure what guilt really does. I mean, I think there's many things that I can do, but in terms of what it does partially in your body is it can set off those chemical reactions that can, you know, lead to higher anxiety, heart palpitations, um, you know, things that are going on in your brain. And sometimes that can perpetuate more of those eating habits to cope with the yes, guilt. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, it could it could backfire, right? And you could eat more if you feel guilty, like, oh, I already started. But I always think of guilt as kind of a little bit of a remorse and a little bit of a sadness. And maybe if we want to look at the positive, we could look at it as a motivator. And so if we could use it as a motivator, then great. But otherwise, then call the emotion what it is. Mm -hmm. And let's just you know, get on with it and say, well, if we're sad, do we really want to make ourselves sadder yeah. by doing something that's not good for us? That's and I am a chocolate lover also. <laughs> I don't eat as much chocolate as I used to, I must admit. And um, and it's fine. It works well, you know, with moderation. Exactly. With moderation. And that's really the key. And I think sometimes if we're sad and we're looking for comfort food and we go to chocolate or we go to bread or we go to potatoes, which, you <laughs> know, I think most people do naturally do that. Mm-hmm. Because they're filling, and because a lot of us grew up with that. I mean, mac and cheese seems to be a staple in almost every child's home. So if we grow up with that, then that's what we go for, and that's what our experiences have led us to. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the, you know, fertility and beyond eating, I love that name, actually, fertility and beyond, or food for fertility and beyond, but that eating really is something that we should all be doing whether you're you know a male or female or child or whoever you are and so if we want to have all these experiences and go to all these different places and I know you go out you know and you've eaten all different kinds of places how do you enjoy them how do you cook for your children and your family and make sure that they have things that they love that are going to make them smile I think part of it is being patient especially when it comes with to, to children um, is just adults and children alike. We need to try things at least 10 times before we say we don't like them. So I think a 
big component of that is, you know, if you don't like something or if your children or, or your partner doesn't like something, not giving up after the first try, trying it in a different way and often pairing it with another food item that you do like. That's so interesting. I used to think that it was five times and I kind of thought as time has gone on that it has to be a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But yes, so how do you do that? How do you get yourself to try something 10 times if you don't <laughs> want it? Consciously. You have to make a <laughs> conscious effort. And, um, you know, it, it does come with some creativity. And that's where sometimes having that support in a dietitian who can give you some of those ideas in creative ways. Um, you know, for me, sometimes the things that are more challenging to cook, I will be more adventuresome going out to a restaurant that, oh, someone told me they're, they're, they have really good sardines at this restaurant. Um, you should try it there because they have a really nice sauce. And here I think, oh, a sauce. It's going to mask some of the flavor <laughs> of a very, you know, flavorful high omega-3 fish, which is good for your brain and good mm-hmm. for fertility. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it comes with, uh, a, a, you know, a network, a, a team, not just thinking about it yourself or doing it at home yourself, but strategizing and coming up with solutions that work for you. I think that's great. I think it's an important, you know, important concept. And so when we when we think about going to a restaurant or we think about entertaining or we're thinking about trying to just make somebody smile when they're eating, Mm -hmm. we do that with the intention of (laughs) maybe introducing something new and Mm -hmm. something that you know they already love and pairing them together. And I think that's what life is all about. Mm -hmm. I think life is all about, you know, going for this ride and enjoying what we can and knowing that there's going to be things that we don't enjoy along the road, but that's okay. Just like there's going to be things that we're going to eat that maybe we don't want to try, but we're going to. So, Derek, thank you so much for coming today. This was fabulous. And if anybody has any questions or would like any information, please feel free to email me at laurimetz at ymail.com or visit my website, which is laurimetz.net. Or Dara, would you like to give out your information? Sure. My Instagram handle is my full name, Dara Godfrey Nutrition. Okay, well, great. And thank you so much, Dara. This was fabulous. I had so much fun. Oh, me too.